I've named this episode Parkinson's Disease, as we'll be dealing with some root causes of Parkinson's, how it relates to Alzheimer's, and what we can do to fight back against it. I'll give you three solutions, but mainly, I'm trying to point you in the right direction. Parkinson's is a struggle, and your specific strain of Parkinson's may be different than the next person's. This is something to be aware of, and this is something that we'll delve into today. So I would love it if you would join me on this journey, and together we can find hope in the desert. Kind of talking about a condition that my uh, that my aunt has, which is Parkinson's, and I'm kind of doing this because we just did this interview with George, Doctor George Ackerman, which was a really beautiful interview, and it was so sad to hear about what what happened to his mom, and it's also so sad to hear how many people are just absolutely lost with what to do with Parkinson's. So I wanted to offer a few things that I've come up with out of my research, just kind of over time and then specifically for this podcast, obviously. So I, I, I do want to point out a little bit that my aunt, um, the one who is struggling with Parkinson's, she's a psychologist and she's kind of a, uh, she kind of paved the way in the family. She was one of the first people to get her doctorates um, in college. She also, I think, suggested that my father go back to college and she was just a, uh, I'm not positive on that relationship, to be honest with you, but I know that for me, she has been a, a, a bit of a superhero just in terms of, um, what I've seen her do and what I've seen her accomplish and what I've watched her overcome. And so when I think about her being torn apart by something like this, it's, it's really personal to me. And I say that because if you're listening to this and you're struggling with Parkinson's, it's probably personal to you too. Uh, or maybe you have a loved one who's struggling with it and it's, it's probably personal to that person too. So I do want to inspire you, if you are listening to this, to share this information, uh, even though you might feel like, well, they'll probably get this information somewhere else or it's not that big of a deal. It is. It's that big of a deal. Some people don't know this and horrible things occur to them. Because they don't know. And something that you told them could have helped them or their family members avoid something absolutely catastrophic like Parkinson's disease. Um, it can it can save them from something like that. In this podcast, I'm going to go ahead and put Parkinson's next to Alzheimer's. In terms of the causality of the roots. So what I'm saying here is, is that the two have very similar roots. And that's what I'm trying to point out. And once we recognize that, um, you can almost, you almost, I mean, it really helps get a clearer picture of things. And let me, let me kind of explain why that is. Alzheimer's actually, it, it, there, it is a span of symptoms, but not everyone experiences Alzheimer's the same. And Parkinson's may even be a wider span. So it's a span of symptoms, but not everyone experiences Parkinson's the same. There are some people who have tremors over their whole body, some people who only have tremors in one hand, and some people 
who die from it and some people who don't. Some people live with it the rest of their life. As well, Parkinson's is, is usually considered uh, recognizable by its tremors, but there are actually earlier signs of Parkinson's, according to a 2014 study. Um, some signs early in Parkinson's are in the autonomic system, and that may be something like bowel dysfunction, bladder dysfunction, things of that nature, things that come from the autonomic system. So I kind of want to point out that it's this huge range of things. And the problem is that we, we do paint Parkinson's with a broad brush. And I think that is where a large part of our issue comes in with trying to find a cure. I'll get into that in, during this conversation. What I want to start with is that because I've gotten a lot of questions about Parkinson's, I have to start with the fact that many people are wrongly diagnosed with Parkinson's. And one example of this is a person may be diagnosed as having Parkinson's and what they really have is Lou body disease, which is Lou body dementia. Specifically, it's a type of dementia, but it, it appears so much like Parkinson's and Parkinson's is so much more popular that people just jump into that. So make sure that you get a proper diagnosis. And um, the way to do that is to go to a specialist if you can afford one. That said, if we talk about Parkinson's research, it tends to agree that a lack of dopamine is a common cause. So even though we have all of these different um, representations of Parkinson's, we understand that dope, a lack of dopamine is the common root. So dopamine comes from something called the substantia nigra. That's one way to say it. And the substantia nigra also plays a role in movement, which is one of the reasons we connect movement with Parkinson's. Okay. A huge problem is the deterioration of the dopaminergenic neurons. So according to a July 13th study analysis in molecular neurology, this is the largest gap in understanding Parkinson's, according to that study. So my issue with this seeming, seemingly gap, according to molecular neurology and, and many other research that I've seen, we find that all people are being treated the same in their origins of Parkinson's. Now, in a way, we start with the problem, which is a lack of dopamine, and then we move from there, right? So we're, we're assessing that because these people have a lack of dopamine, the root cause of that is always the same, and it is not always the same. Now, the cause of them not producing dopamine is different, but I'm going to make a suggestion. I'm going to make an argument in this podcast, that a root cause, a major root cause is the same in all forms of Parkinson's. But in order to get to that root cause, you cannot start with the lack of dopamine. That's what I'm going to suggest. So what happens in Parkinson's uh, symptoms, uh, they're treated like an ailment and the patients are prescribed something like levodopa or carbidopa or something like it which basically helps to put more dopamine back into the brain and then movement comes back and that's it. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with it is that it's just a Band-Aid. And sometimes it will conceal the problem until a person dies or as long as they keep taking this medicine. But under the surface, the central nervous system is still deteriorating. So even though they're getting the dopamine and whatever the result, the cause is still there. So we're painting a car, but the engine ain't working. Now, this does not address the root causes is what I'm trying to say. 
So why is the substantia nigra failing is the question that we need to ask and how can we activate it again? I want to point this out. We've also seen surgeries of late that are specifically uh, stem cell research based. These are the ones that we've seen be successful. They had one in Korea. And we through, through uh, no, I'm sorry, it was a Korean who did it. I don't know if it was in Korea. I think it was on like a Korean news station or something that I saw it on. But whatever, I hope I didn't offend anybody. But the point is that stem cell research was the root of this, of them fixing this issue. But I still think that that's missing the root. I still don't think that that's correct. And I understand why, right? They haven't dealt with root cures. And the, the fact is that trying to find a cure is, number one, extremely expensive to develop. Number two, it takes a very long time. Number three, um, you, you, you barely get it into the lab and you test it with animals. And then after, you must test it with humans. And there are so many different issues with that. Ethical issues, time issues, and so on. So this is actually where we tend to encounter most of the problems when it comes to dealing with, with humans. Tests tend to work in a lab, but when they're given to humans, the research seems to hit a little bit of a wall. That's where we keep hitting a wall. Now, specialists like uh, Peter Jenner, Professor Peter Jenner, I apologize, Professor Peter Jenner, believe that this is because we are painting Parkinson's with a broad brush, which is what we were talking about earlier. One person's Parkinson's may be different than someone else's, and that's a difficult pill for people to swallow. These labels are not labels that um, necessarily give us every piece of information. They're labels merely so that we can have a conversation about something. And, and what that means is that when we test for a cure in a, in a broad group, huge group, the generalization of the group may hide the actual results. So if this, for example, if this type was effective, this particular this compound, it might be effective with people who have, say, gut-rooted issues. But that might not show up because the type of Parkinson's are clumped together. So these people may have gut-rooted issues. These people may have an issue coming from something else. And so it, it, it won't show up because you're lumping all these people together. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. Professor Peter Jenner speaks on this. He says, now, now mind you, he holds the view that Parkinson's is complex to the individual. But he does, however, suggest some top causative factors. And of these top causative factors of Parkinson's, he mentions oxidative stress, mitochondrial dysfunction, and or malfunctioning proteins. Now, I'm proposing that much of that is not only too late in the progression, but also seems to have a similar root. Okay? I'm almost, I'm almost suggesting that this is not a series of things, but a sequence of things. And here's what I mean. It is not either oxidative stress, mitochondrial dysfunction, or malfunctioning proteins. I'm suggesting that it's oxidative stress and then mitochondrial dysfunction. Now, I'm not saying in every case. I'm not saying in every case. I'm, I'm, I want to show how highly possible this is. Okay. So in an issue of uh, BBA, which is the Biochemica e Biophysica Acta, BBA, in an issue in May of 2017, 
called Molecular Basis of Disease, which had a section on page 1066 to 1077. They stated, one effect of oxidative stress is mitochondrial dysfunction. Now, that doesn't mean that all myocardial dysfunction comes from oxidative stress. I got to stress that again. But with the two so closely linked, we have to address the elephant in the room. So what's the source of oxidative stress? That's the question. Or ROS, reactive oxygen species. What is the source of it? In 2018, an online journal called Hindawi published a special issue under oxidative medicine and, cellu and cellular longevity in a section labeled Mechanisms and Disease Pathogenesis Underlying Metal-Induced Oxidative Stress. The author quotes, Oxidative stress is a fundamental molecular mechanism underlying metal-induced toxicity. It goes on to say, Most metals are redox-active. They can undergo redox-cycling reactions resulting in the production of reactive oxygen nitrogen species, RONS. Now, what does this mean? It means that metals play a role in ROS and oxidative stress, or I should say thus oxidative stress, because we understand that ROS is the oxidative stress, right? It's Or oxidative stress is a result of ROS, reactive oxygen species. So, now, since metal exposure has increased over time, okay, because I'm saying that metals are playing a role here. Now, metal exposure has increased over time. We have to then expect that Parkinson's would also increase over time, right? The two, if I'm saying that they're linked, it would need to show in the data, but that's not actually entirely true. So I'm going to give you an example, something that confirms what I'm saying. A recent study from the Parkinson's Foundation on Parkinson's.org, so everybody can find this, says rates of Parkinson's disease in men have increased from 18.2% between, that's between the years of 1976 and 1985, to 30.4%, and that's between the years of 1996 and 2005, okay? So the increase was greater for men over an age of 70. All right, that's that little added point right there. But what we find is that it almost doubled, 18.2% and 30%, right? We find this huge increase. However, so that was in my favor. However, Parkinson's disease instances were higher for people who were born between 1915 and 1925. Now the question is, what happened? Why during those years, 1915 and 1925, the people who were born in that decade, why does Parkinson's for those people tend to escalate? What the site seems to suggest is that early life exposure to influenza boosted Parkinson's disease risk. Early life exposure to influenza boosted Parkinson's disease risk. So what I have to ask is what is influenza and why would that play a role? Okay. So first of all, to make this clear and to just break this down to its simplest platform, influenza is a respiratory illness. Now, why is that significant? Because of what the International Journal of Molecular Science published on February 19th in 2013 in an article called The Environmental Pollutant Cadmium 
promotes influenza virus replication in MDCK cells by altering their redox state. And I need you to remember that word cadmium because it's going to come up later. And in this article, it's quoted to say this, in conclusion, our data demonstrate that CD-induced oxidative stress directly increases the ability of influenza virus to replicate in the host cell, thus suggesting that exposure to heavy metals such as this could be a risk factor for individuals exposed to a greater extent to the contaminant, resulting in increased severity of virus-induced respiratory diseases. It seems that heavy metals tend to play a role in respiratory illnesses. And I'm going to bring a respiratory therapist on here at some point and interview him. And I'm going to hammer this home with him. Actually, he's a really good friend of mine, and I'm so excited to have him on. Just a little uh, caveat right there. So the question is this. Why is this so? Why is this information so special about the heavy metals having to do anything with Spanish flu or influenza, either whatever you want to call it? Why is this important? Well, it's important because the coal industry was soaring in 1915 and through 1915. It was soaring in that time, actually in that decade. And uh, also, it did not have very many restrictions at that time either. So what I'm establishing is that heavy metal toxins are a leading cause of neurological illnesses. Now, I've actually seen bloggers and writers say that there is no evidence to support a relationship between heavy metals and neurodegeneration. I will agree that it can be an argument, but to say that there is no evidence to support it, I think that that might be problematic in, in how misleading it is. Okay. Now, hospitals seem to agree with my point of view. As an example, Winchester Hospital reports, High amounts of heavy metals can cause several health problems. It specifies several, and amongst them are changes in mental status or personality, nervousness, feeling irritated easily, insomnia, delirium, and tremors, also poor memory and fatigue. Now, all of these have been proven to be catalysts for dementia because of the neurodegenerative effects. But we can line these symptoms up right next to Parkinson's and see a direct correlation. And that's the key. That's the big deal for me is that so many of these um, symptoms of, of high metal exposure look just like Parkinson's. Now, later down the page, it talks about aluminum clotting the kidneys, which is the body's natural uh, disposal mechanism, right? And it mentions... This can lead to a dangerous buildup, dementia, and other problems of brain or spine, which is the central nervous system. Now, that is the Beth Israel Winchester Hospital saying that stuff, not me. Now, there is a website called the Parkinson's Plan that works to help people with Parkinson's. And they suggest there is a, this is what they say. There is a lot of research suggesting that Parkinson's disease can be attributed to neurological toxicity. They go on to suggest detoxifying. The Carryfield Center at thecarryfieldcenter.com 
proposes a pretty elaborate plan that includes heavy metal detox. And they say, avoid sources of heavy metals such as mercury, copper, manganese that accumulate body tissues, which can be contributing factors to Parkinson's. It presents several research sites to support its claim, one of which is ResearchGate publication on Parkinson's disease and mercury. Now, I'm going to go back and I just want to read that quote one more time before I tell you what ResearchGate says. It says, uh, this is Kerry Field Center. They say, Avoid sources of heavy metals such as mercury, copper, and manganese that accumulate body tissues, which can be contributing factors in Parkinson's. Okay, now, that ResearchGate publication, they have in there a particular uh, publication on Parkinson's disease and, and mercury. And that's literally what that publication is called, Parkinson's disease and mercury. And you can download the PDF. And now, a quick glance at the page at the first page, actually, shows heavy metals like mercury and copper can produce lesions on the basal ganglia. Now, why is that important? Remember, Parkinson's is a failure to produce dopamine from the substantia nigra. Well, the substantia nigra is part of the basal ganglia. By the way, in terms of dementia and Alzheimer's, in 2018, Singer Link published an article called Pathogenic Mechanisms of Heavy Metal-Induced Alzheimer's Disease, where it printed the toxicity of heavy metals such as lead, mercury, and cadmium, there's that word again, are a cause of neurofibrillary tangles, aggregation of amyloid beta peptides, as well as neuronal cell loss. Now, why am I specifying that? Because earlier I told you that Parkinson's and dementia have a similar root, toxicity, toxicity to heavy metals, that heavy metals tend to play an irritant to ROS. So when we look at and we see things like oxidative stress, and if you're not very familiar with that term, there is a write-up on the blog, findthewellspring.org, where we talk about oxidative stress and its effect on aging, Okay which really is the degeneration of the body. But if you, if you talk about mitochondrial dysfunction and you talk about protein malfunction, it makes sense that a foreign body would be able to contribute to those elements. And I'm merely stating that one contribution is heavy metals and they degenerate the central nervous system. So where do we get these toxins from? that are creating both Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Just trying to stay on point here for my people who are listening to the ICT protocol and trying to deal with their Alzheimer's. I want you to understand that toxicity is a contribution to what you're doing because I'm actually doing this for my dad. What I'm going to suggest to you, I'm also doing for my father who is dealing with a mixed picture, but part of it's Alzheimer's. So first of all, let me state clearly, we can get mercury from certain seafoods grains, even fruits. And partially because every year we get 48 tons of this stuff, mercury, pumped into the air. 48 brand new tons. Now, aluminum, we can find in antiperspirants, cooking utensils, vaccines, and medicines. Copper is in the environment at an alarming rate. I mean, it's everywhere. So basically, we get this stuff in the environment. And what we want to do is detoxify. There is an idea Okay, if we talk about solutions, 
that we want to try and minimize how much you intake. You should do that. I agree. Some of it is a little ridiculous. It's almost impossible to avoid it all. But but even if you do avoid it all, don't forget, it's it's in the atmosphere. There's very little you can do about that. But I would say try and get it, try and minimize it as much as you can. So, for example, tooth fillings. A lot of people get fillings in their teeth that are mercury-based. And even if the doctor tells you or the dentist tells you, oh, there's not that much mercury, don't worry about it. Worry about it. Get it taken out of your mouth and put ceramic or something else in there, okay, if you can afford it. Um, aluminum you can find in your deodorant uh, and some lotions you can find in a lot of areas the lotion that I use is coconut oil uh, basically use things you can consume I would say things like a hobo oil things of that nature and you still you'd even have to look at some of those because they might throw things in there for preservative factors or whatever uh, the the deodorant that I use is Mr. Teal's so you can pick that up if you want to. It's the coconut oil brand of that. Sometimes you will still have a problem with odor if you take those. If that's the case, if you're taking that and it's not strong enough, let me say seven times out of 10, your problem is gut related. So I would deal with the gut. Uh, that will have to be a different podcast though. I want to stick with detoxifying for right now. So detox to, to detoxify after trying to cut back on as much metal as you're taking in in your foods and in things you put on, things of that nature. There are a few routes that you can take. One is chelation. Now, I personally have some issues with chelation. Okay, I'll name one issue for you. The adherence of chelation to your metals is not always strong enough to keep it as it travels up through the brain. And sometimes it will drop off metals in the brain. So that's my issue with chelation. But chelation does work. It will reduce your metals. I don't like the fact that it takes them from the body and sometimes drops it off in the brain. I have a slight issue with that, but that is what it is. So, um, another, another option for me to suggest to you is a substance called metal free. And if you can find metal free, okay, it's in a spray and it's recommended that you start with two sprays a day. I would say one to two sprays a day. And you move up to six, depending on what's right for you. So you take a spray per day. You see if there's any issues. If there's no issues, move up to, to six. What I'm going to do with my father as I move into this level of the ICT protocol is I'm going to give him one spray in the morning, see how he reacts through the day. And then the next day I'll see again. So what I'm saying is I'm going to give him one spray and do nothing and do nothing the next day. So 48 hours I'm going to wait before I give him the next spray to, to start detoxifying him. But my father has some natural issues that he's dealing with because he has a lot of mercury in his mouth and that's problematic. Okay. So that said, um, but when you're doing this, if, if you did this once every six months, like you can, a lot of people do this once every six months, the metals will reaccumulate right over time. But if there's something that you can do that's daily and small with no side effects, I would, I would suggest that over a longer period of time. I would say probably go three months with this and then stop for three months and go back on. And that's just my humble suggestion. You, you could do your own research on that if you, uh, if you want. Metal Free has a site where it has a lot of information or sites, I guess, where it has a lot of information. I'm also going to, to make a suggestion on a vitamin. And this vitamin is called Resveratrol. 
And I've talked about risk for trawl on the blog, so you can feel free to go there anytime. And there's an article called The Power of Grapes. Just check that blog out. Check that article out. It talks about risk for trawl. But just on here, what I'll, what I'll reserve for this is uh, research shows that there are at least seven pathways that can go awry in Parkinson's. Resveratrol has a modifying effect on every one of them. Now, you can find resveratrol at any place with vitamins. Now, I got my father's online, but recently we ran out and I had to pick some up at a local grocery store, uh, which I do not normally suggest. Okay. Um, but Parkinson's shows a lot of issues in the autonomic system as well, and resveratrol may have a strong effect on those. Resveratrol tends to work at the level of cells. So remember, we talk about mitochondrial dysfunction. It has this anti-aging effect, and you can literally just look that up. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big one on the streetlight effect, but resveratrol has a large body of work on it. It's very interesting to me whenever I talk to people who have Parkinson's and their doctor has not recommended resveratrol. That's just interesting to me. I understand these are conventional practitioners, but from an integrative perspective, or any homeopathic doctor, they probably would tell you about resveratrol. If they don't, they must not know about it. That's going to be my, that'll be my, uh, my go-to. It has a lot of benefits. And if you are not, if you don't, if you don't have us on Twitter, or if you don't have us on Instagram, or if you don't have us on Facebook, when I say us, I mean the Wellspring Company, uh, get us on there because we have a lot of information for you when it comes to things like resveratrol. I do give my dad resveratrol. And I, I also give him um, celery seed extract. And we'll get into some other things that I give him. Um, but specifically, I'm not just telling you something that I don't do. Now, the last suggestion is uh, we, we tend to all know about aerobics because we want to talk about moving. So we tend to know about aerobics. But I'd like you to go check out something that's called a TheraCycle. TheraCycle.com. And this is a very specific type of moving that tends to be optimum for Parkinson's patients. If you haven't heard of it, it's theracycle.com. I will probably do another podcast later on on this uh, on this type of therapy because there's there's more suggestions I can make other than just theracycle. But that's one that I want to give you right now. Go look it up yourself and just see what you think about it uh, because I'm out of time. So the, I do want to re recall the three suggestions that I make. Okay, I'm saying number one, we need to detox. Um, we see how much metal toxins play a role in neurodegeneration. We see that. So we want to make sure and take that into account and understand that we have to attack it at its root. Number two, we want to take resveratrol. Resveratrol tends to help deal with the surface issues, the issues that come after the oxidative stress. And three, we want to deal with movement. Movement will help promote reversal of the condition. So these are the three, this is the three prong attack that I'm just suggesting to you. Now, I'm not saying that it is a for sure cure. What I'm trying not to do, however, is just leave you in the lurch so that you are without hope because that's what we don't want. You can look up the research on toxicity, heavy metal toxicity. I have named the research on here and look it up for yourself and see what you think. You can go get tested for your toxicity level and you'll probably find it high. And even if you don't, I would just say there might be things that maybe it doesn't pick up. Maybe it doesn't pick up lead or whatever toxicity, whatever toxin it doesn't pick up. And I would still get a detox. Number two, you can look up resveratrol. 
Look up what, what happens in, in Parkinson's and look up the, the role that resveratrol plays as far as helping that. And get it if you want to. And number three, go look up TheraCycle. And I'll, I'll try, like I said, to make a podcast on some other ones in the future. But the point here is, is that you can research that three-pronged attack yourself. Or if you're a caretaker and the person's kind of far along, you can research for them. Okay? But what I can tell you is that many of them have case studies that support the fact that they work. But again, Parkinson's is a wide span. All right? I tried to get the three root that I know tend to help most Parkinson's patients um, who have done case studies or, or at least dealt with this with these particular solutions and have found success. Um, if I didn't help you, whatever I told you that's wrong, I hope that you get a better answer in the near future. I will continue to research and try and report and do my best to help you with this. Uh, I consider myself in this fight with you because so many of my family members are suffering from this. But it is never my goal to mislead. So if I say something that's wrong, please know I'm really just doing the best I can with what I have. And may you forgive me for my shortcomings. That being said, if you know anybody who can use this information, share it with them. Even if you think that they got it under control, let them know. We, we have to help each other. And by you helping someone else, some beautiful fortune may fall upon you. So I would say share this, subscribe to this, like this, because it helps us to know what we're doing is right. And it helps us to continue to produce this material. All we really want to do is help. And I want to thank you for joining in and being part of this. Be well.